The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. This is the spin-off at 100 Hours GMT with an emergency podcast. Bill English, leader of the National Party of New Zealand, has resigned. I'm Toby Manhai, that's Ben Thomas. Hi Ben. Hi Toby. Uh, Annabelle Lee isn't with us today. Bill English took us all by surprise. She wrong-footed us. explained that she was picking up some cousins from Canada from the airport, which sounded, I don't know. It's just normally like that kind of, my girlfriend lives in Canada thing. Yeah. I'm not persuaded. Um, Thanks very much to Alice, who's producing us today. Um, Bill English has resigned, as mentioned. Simon William English has decided not to get up again again. <laughs> and that will create a vacancy as leader of the opposition. Uh, Bill English, Ben Thomas, was it the right time? It was, it was a time. I mean, I think it was pretty inevitable that he'd have to go at some point mm. during this three years. Mm. You could argue should he have given should he have given more of an opportunity for hitherto unknown National Party people to stamp their mark on the public and and you know fly their flag as potential leaders? Should he have given plotters more time to kind of concoct their coups? Um, should he have should he have stayed on to ensure that charter schools survived? Well, he did that. Um, you, you know, there's there's never a right time. They they have to get. National has to get over the the next um, opposition leader, you know, and and you know, Labor had to go through a number, you know, Phil Goff, David Cunliffe, Andrew Little, uh, before they found the right formulation. You know, it's a it's a difficult task, um, and you've got to start at some point. So there's there's no right time. Do you think that we'll we'll talk about Bill English a bit more in a moment? But do you think that the next leader of the National Party will be? the next national prime minister? Kind of depends who it is. <laughs> um, there's, I mean, you know, there's always the, the option that they may, that the next leader of national may be the next national prime minister, but they may not be the prime minister in 2020. Um, there's, there's no way of sort of, you know, predicting how these things will go. People don't have, I think it's a bit like um, <clears throat> English Premier League managers. It, 
people's patience for people sitting around as leader in opposition for a long time or even losing elections is is very thin these days. I was just sort of doing some back-of-the-envelope stuff to think about who was the leader of a parliamentary party seven months ago. And mm. most, most of the squad, apart from Winston Peters, James Shaw and David Seymour, have changed. But if you actually, in doing that, I was looking at the leaders, the leaders of parties who led their parties to parliamentary representation in 2014 and 2017. The only one in common was Winston Peters. So it's just the turnover, I reckon, based on that very small bit of survey is quite high. It's something it's it's something to do with the media culture that we live in now, right? It's a mm. it's almost kind of con- the same way that in conceptual art the concept is the art, you know, and you, you kind of actually manufacturing a piece is sort of an afterthought. So and so too in politics, you know, you say, uh, now that the speculation has begun, this will build its own momentum. Mm. And just kind of by saying that it's done, mm. um, you know, it's very performative. Mm. Um, and, and so the actual, the actual time necessary, <laughs> you know, to make these things a reality, it, you know, collapses down into almost nothing. Um, you know, I mean, we, we, I think we're still, we're still doing a bit better than the Australians. Um, who sort of you know cycle through at a kind of you know rate of you know one every few years, um, but yeah, it sort of it it, it you know it, I I I guess the only thing you can really take from that is that whoever um, English's successor is um, probably doesn't have you know five years to make their mark. Um, thank you for your Derrida level analysis, Ben Thomas. There. Let's talk about Bill English a little bit. He raised the media culture thing in his departing press conference, which he was surrounded by family and various uh, national MPs on their tippy toes. Um, it was quite an emotional uh, speech he gave. Um, a few tears there, uh, particularly when talking about sacrifices made with the family. He described his legacy, I suppose, or the points that he... <coughs> lighted on particularly were the stewardship as finance minister through the the GFC, through the financial crisis. And he made mention of social investment, which is his kind of main policy um, innovation, I suppose. Excuse me. Uh, and the other thing, and then he talked about the being prime minister as obviously being a career highlight. How, how, do you, how, do you, how are you measuring his legacy, Ben Thomas? Yeah, I think you'd hit all of those main points. There probably wasn't a lot that he would look back on, you know, with a huge amount of sort of, um, you know, end of life kind of um, fondness up until uh, the last national government. He he was a good finance minister. What he really did there, and when he talks about the stewardship and custodianship of the economy, a lot of what he did was changing the path of spending away from the previous Labour government. And this is something that Labour complained about mm. um, throughout nine years of opposition, that he, he essentially gave uh, government departments less money to spend uh, than they than they probably expected they would be getting. That was very important, put us in a good, um, in the good debt position, which Grant Robertson has been claiming as Labour's own, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, this month, you know, when people have been looking at possible economic headwinds ahead. So that was important. Um, you know, he's he's a very careful custodian of the books. In terms of social investment, I think we've probably spent about nine years trying to figure out: is it a thing? 
Mm. I think on balance, social investment is probably a thing. The concept is the art, Ben. Yeah, and it, it's sort of it, it's a, it's essentially basically just a a, 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 a re-explaining of the social welfare model, which is trying to find people who need help and helping them, which has been what welfare has always been about. But this kind of adds this you know, uh, mi- minority report kind of algorithms yeah. to to kind of slice and dice the population in different ways, you know, for targeting that help. Um, it didn't It didn't really get off the ground in the way that he was probably hoping. You know, the government was probably a bit cautious and a bit slow mm. um, getting getting it moving. Um, but it's probably not as controversial so as, as a lot of people, you know, seem to be portraying it latterly. Um, you know, in, in a way, it's just using modern tools for the same sorts of things the welfare state has always been for. Um, the third thing, um, which will be, which is, is, is again part of this sort of legacy, which Labour seems to be sort of slightly kind of dismantling with these better public service targets, yes, um, which was the revolutionary idea that the public service would do a better job if they knew what they were meant to be trying to do, mm. um, which if you've ever been part of a government department doing a big project, you, you, you know, you will know is actually pretty, pretty outrageously new as an idea. Just in, you know, instead of having sort of huge 40 page strategies, just having a one line target, which is we want to reduce rheumatic fever by 50%. Um, or we want the, the number of people reoffending to go down from 25% to 10% or something like that. We want 100% of kids vaccinated. It's very rare to find targets that are that obvious and that clear in the public sector. You know, government departments can spend millions of dollars and years on what they call problem definition. And so it's a big help if politicians can just come along and say, this is the problem and this is what we want you to do about it. Mm. And then then when government departments are, are working with each other, they can always refer back to that one sentence or that one bullet point and say, are we getting closer to the goal? So this was probably the most simple thing he did. It was also probably the most revolutionary. Um, and the government, the, this government, the Labour government, seems to be backpedalling a little on that. Well, you know, they, scrapped, they scrapped it in a... Ostensibly, yeah. Well, they've said that they'll bring in their own targets, mm. and and as long as those targets are clear, you know, you should achieve the same kind of result. But I think it, it's important to keep the public sector accountable. Um, you know, we a huge part of New Zealand is the public sector. You know, it's it's the crown, um, and 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 with the amount of money that we put into them, it's a pretty it's it's a good idea to know what they're doing. Um, and this was something that was a lot more important, I think, to English than his predecessor, John Key. Um, and it's something that, you know, the new government will have to keep an eye on as well. So next we have a fortnight long contest, really, um, unlike in other parties that we might name, such as the Greens, who are currently uh, have a contest underway in which they go to their membership. The late Labour Party, as of the last... Well, five years go to their leadership in the same way that the British Labour Party does. The National Party keep it in-house, very in-house, in caucus, and only caucus members get to vote. How's it going to play out? Is it... I mean, remember last time when John Key stood down, there was, there was, a, there was a sort of... After all that kind of famous discipline over all those years, there was this sudden burst of a little bit of what felt like kind of private briefing and 
back channels and all that sort of thing, and it was quickly shut down, disappeared, you know. This time, is, that, is, that, is, it, is it likely to get messy at all? What do you think? How's it going to play out? Well, there's already been a lot of a lot of private back chat and briefing, you know, obviously over the last week or so on post, oh, my post phone, English issues. my phone's issues. Gone, gone mad, obviously, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, the... I think Jamie Lee Ross, the national whip, hasn't uh, hasn't made any comment about the process that will be adopted mm. for selecting the leader. But what you can expect is that there'll probably be a vote about a vote on the leader, a vote on the deputy leader, and a vote on all of the whip positions. So just a, basically a clear out mm-hmm. at the top, mm-hmm. which means replacement for English. Almost certainly, I'd say a replacement for Paula Bennett the current deputy who really owes her current position to the patronage of English and before him, John Key, Mm. rather than kind of wider popularity in the caucus. Um, And, and I think, I think it'll be a free vote. I think unlike uh, Key's replacement with English, that it probably will be contested. Mm. Um, The two names that sort of keep bubbling up um, as the, as the major contenders seem to be Simon Bridges and Amy Adams. I think you could probably bet that, Judith Collins will at least test the waters um, and a couple of others who have been said to be putting their names around privately are Mark Mitchell, um, Jonathan Coleman um, and Nikki Kay I think is you know a, another person who's an obvious contender. So let's run through a few of those contenders. We um, have on the spinoff.co.nz uh, hastily thrown together power ranking of the potential contenders um, and I had at number eight, Jonathan Coleman, which I, d- I just don't think is going to happen. He flew a flag last time round. That's right. And they got a surprising amount of expressions of support. Um, you know, because of what you were talking about, these kind of, you know, national backbenchers sort of blinking in their first moments in the sun, um, freed from the kind of mm. almost complete control of the caucus by John Key, um, did think, well, why haven't we been consulted on this handover to Bill English? Um, and they were kind of casting about for a bit of a stalking horse, and that was that was Coleman. Um, he he had a number of people sort of throw in their lot with him initially, um, but that kind of evaporated. And um, I think it would be a mistake to to think that that uh, showed huge personal support Not gonna for happen. Coleman. Not going to happen. Yeah, uh, Mark Mitchell mentioned. You mentioned Mark Mitchell. Maybe Todd M- Muller. That kind of little rump group with. Um Alfredo and Chris Bishop as well. The four amigos. Four amigos. The word. I really hope Jonky doesn't go into branding mm. post his political career. Mm. That is the wor- even, it's the worst name for a political they, faction. They recreated that, that um, fish and chip photo as well, didn't they? The the one. Did they? Did what they? Did, or did I imagine that? B- Bill English and Tony Ryle and the Nick, Nick Smith, Smith. Brat Pack. They they recreated the fish and chip shot from the eighties. Yeah with McDonald's in the right. 90s. And that was, I would have thought that would have warned most people off. Would, did they get like kebabs in Cuba Street or something? Or Maybe I'm making this up. Tapas? I don't know. You mentioned Nick Smith and it does, it does seem like an opportunity as, we, as long as we're going through some of the contenders for Nick Smith to finally escape the shadow of, of Bill English and prove his true credentials to lead the country. <laughs> I, I have always considered that Bill English is a good man. I think he's a man of great honour. Um, 
I'm very disappointed that he's leaving Nick Smith alone in Parliament. I mean, this is this is kind of like if old Yeller's family saw that there was something a bit off about him and just moved to a different farm. You can't you can't just like leave him there in Nelson while Bill rides off to a position on an Australian so bank or something. This is terrible. Tied to a lamppost in the middle of the desert. So Nick Smith is in there. Stephen Joyce. Stephen Joyce. Well, he's been interested in the leadership before, um, but I, w- I would have put him in that camp along with Paula Bennett of you know people who really have been elevated by leaders. And that's not to say for no reason. I mean, Joyce is phenomenally smart guy. Very smart guy. I think the National Caucus might think that um, a lot of responsibility and power was put with um, Joyce and with Paula Bennett. You know, from the point of that Northland by-election on, mm. um, and there's been pretty diminishing returns from them to the party. Paula Bennett then, deputy leader, former deputy prime minister, not widely regarded within the caucus as having had a terribly good campaign. No, I think that's right. So she, she's had policy roles um, since 2014, Um and, and that didn't always meet with sort of widespread approval and also sort of high-level strategy roles in the Northland by-election and the 2017 election. So I, I would, I, it's interesting because about a year and a half ago, those two were the most mentioned in terms, of, you know, along with English in terms of taking over from Key. But now they don't really figure in, um, in much of the chat at all. Um, Nikki Kay. Nikki Kay has beaten Jacinda Ardern twice in Auckland Central, has a real ability to appeal generationally to the kind of people who might feel themselves less tribal in terms of their politics, perhaps. She doesn't seem to dyed in the wool national. Um, she's a social liberal. She's had exemptions on various things. What was it? There? What was the one? Of, uh, the, 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 when she opposed mining on uh, right. Great Barrier Island. Right. So the green, a green, blue and something to do with trees as well. I think the tree thing. Um, she had surgery for breast cancer last year and took some time out. So there's, she may not feel as though the time is right. Maybe her she'll get her time will roll around in the next the, iteration. What there do you doesn't think about Nikki? there doesn't seem to be uh, much of an indication that she's particularly hungry for the job. On the other hand, there didn't seem to be much Jacinda, of an indication that Jacinda uh, was, <laughs> as she steadily <laughs> stepped over a pile of corpses of sort of <laughs> Annette King and David Shearer and little t- uh, towards the, mm. you know her coronation. Um, yeah, well, that's right. You, I mean, she, she's had she's had surgery. She's she's a breast cancer survivor. She may have other priorities now. She may have she may have a bit more perspective. Um, on the other hand, that's usually the sort of thing that ironically makes you more attractive to voters um, and more relatable. And maybe a, just a, it's, you know, it's not always the concept, but sometimes the art. She might just be a better rounded person after going through that experience. Too. Yeah, and look, Nikki Kay is, she's a very good politician. She's, I would say, the, the hardest working electorate MP I've ever met um, and one of the hardest working ministers I ever came into contact with. Um you know, I mean, there's no doubt that she could foot it in the job. It's interestingly enough, some people have talked about, you know, 
you know, she may be a bit too young, a bit too inexperienced. Well, you know, obviously she's the same age as the prime minister. Mm. Um, but also, you know, she's been in she's been in parliament as long as Stephen Joyce has. Yeah. She's only been there three years uh, less than Paula Bennett has. Yeah, you know, this is almost a decade now. So, I, I wouldn't rule her out. At the same time, I think she may rule herself out. She may have ruled herself out by the time this podcast is put out onto the internet. Judith Collins, who has been talked about in terms of leadership challenges in the National Party since the Middle Ages. Um, she's she's the kind of... She always seemed like someone who would be best placed if the kind of key-style leadership had collapsed around them, that sense of a lack of vision, the sense of being trying to be every person to everyone, that sense of being, you know, nth-degree pragmatic, a little bit of ideological steel and backbone. I'm not sure that's quite what they're looking for in the National Cause, but I don't know, are they? National can't just wait for their turn in government. You know, Labour did that for yeah. eight, eight years and it, and it never happened. You know, they're not riding a trend where National is going up and Labour is going down and the Greens are going down and inexorably in three years whoever's leading National will be the Prime Minister. So they, they, they can't rely on that sort of thing. You know they will they will need to change something. If it's, I mean, Judith Collins is an extraordinarily good politician. She's very good in opposition, mm. um, and she's very good at sort of moderating her tone as well. Mm. You know, she can be extremely vicious, extremely brutal, and very funny and self-deprecating as well. Mm. Um, and one of the problems that National faces, I mean, the biggest problem National faces is the Prime Minister. Um, and I don't think that, led by Joyce, you know, they have had any any really cogent way of attacking or undermining Jacinda Ardern since she became the, the leader of the Labour Party. One of the problems that they have is that a lot of their attacks are seen as gendered or that they're cautious about making attacks that might be seen as gendered or sexist. If you have somebody like Judith Collins who, you know, has you know, whatever else is in her political past, she's always been a strong advocate for women. Um, Nikki Kay's in the same boat. Amy Adams is in the same boat. They may, you know, that may be seen by the National Party as the sort of path of least resistance and giving them an in that they wouldn't otherwise have, or at least sort of removing some of the caution around, um, you know, trying to take on the Prime Minister directly, which at some point they're going to have to do in the next three years. Amy Adams, we mentioned. Um, I sort of had her down as being a kind of compromise candidate, uh, someone who... But is that fair? I mean, is she is she more than that? I even mentioned Phil Goff as a kind of parallel. But is she is she something more than that? She does seem like a safe pair of hands, someone who could guide the party through to the next election, even without necessarily wanting to rock the boat particularly. Well, she's from the South Island. She owns a farm. She's also a commercial lawyer and quite a successful one. Mm. Um, so she appeals, you know, kind of across a lot of those bases um, that you want to hit. Um, she's very well connected within the party. She did a very good job as the Minister of Justice. Mm. One of the things that um, people draw attention to is... Um, she did a lot of great work on domestic violence as Minister of Justice, and she also very incongruously managed to wedge uh, the Labour Party in its first few days in government on paid parental leave. Mm. So they actually they actually think... In terms of fathers? 
in in terms of yeah whether fathers should be allowed yep. to take some of that 26 um mm. weeks of extended parental leave as well and 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 left labor looking a bit stranded and and less liberal than national um the only question there is you know can can labor ultimately out uh, can national ultimately outflank labor on the left um i mean i i don't know if that's the right approach um but you know she she's certainly a competent uh, competent politician Simon Bridges, who has sort of surged into pole position, that might be overstating it, um, he's had a really good start to this parliament. Mm. Um, yep. And uh, he snookered Chris Hipkins and the Labour Party in terms of um, numbers available for the election of the Speaker. Got quite fired up, you know, like a, a, in a way that people weren't used to seeing him. He showed a lot more energy in opposition than he did in government. And, you know, look, part of that is the, the different demands of the roles. But, um, yeah, he's, he's really impressed, I think, in his first few months in opposition. Um, it's, it's interesting. People, people will, um, you know, pick out the weirdest things about him, like his strong New Zealand accent and, you know, his, and his hair. And, and some people say, you know, it's, it, the, the public won't relate to it. Some people say, you know, it's very John Key. It's very middle New Zealand. Um, makes him much more relatable. So, I mean, it's it's hard to say if you if, if you strip away all of that stuff and just look at his performance, um, he'd be one of the front runners on that basis. Pretty good. I mean, um, you think of something like transport, where he took over from Jerry Brownlee, who was seen as a kind of antediluvian chain dragger. On you know, whereas he he was, you know, the rest of the party wanted to go forwards more quickly in terms of developing, and he he he. You know, he got a reasonable amount of respect in that, I think, across the board. Yeah, I think he did quite well with the CRL in Auckland. Um, and importantly, you know, there is that, that generational change yeah. aspect, which I think, you know, will be a real focus. You know, yeah. what, he's, either, he's either 39 or he's just turned 40. 41. 41. Is he 41? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Maybe 40, something like that. I think he's 40. He's 76. And, um, 76. And, um, 41. Yeah, and <laughs> like like Nikki Kay, you know, he hasn't he hasn't beaten uh, the prime minister in an election, but he's been paired with her on TV for about nine mm. years now. He's sprightly. He definitely represents a generational change when you when you look and hear look at and hear him. Right? Yeah, that's right. And he put himself in the frame by um, really running the deputy competition quite close when mm. Key resigned, mm. um, and English was elevated. So and that didn't look insolent or, you know, insubordinate to do that, that he ran that quite well without, you know, I mean, just comparing Coleman's thing, which seemed weird. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, he didn't overplay his hand, but he sort of clearly put his hand up mm. and and that was rewarded. You know, he got he got a big promotion in Cabinet, mm. um, three or four spots, and the economic development portfolio. So he's he's clearly regarded as somebody who sort of earned his, earned his stripes a bit. Um, and there's been a lot of chat about him, um, which suggests that his, you know, his organisation is a little bit further advanced, perhaps, than uh, some of the other candidates. So, if you look at Bridges, and you look at Amy Adams, Judith Collins, Paula Bennett, and Nikki Kay, who I've got down as the, the five frontrunners, you may quibble about Paula Bennett, but just just for argument's sake, one of the interesting things about that is that none of them is a white guy. <laughs> Which is interesting, you know, and and so it does feel like this is going to be a 
this is going to change New Zealand politics a bit more. We've been through quite a kind of seismic shift in terms of the not identity politics per se, but in terms of the kind of character of of New Zealand politics. It's going to happen. It seems 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 unstoppable. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, what did um, Morgan Godfrey said that you know the the lead there's. Um, what is it, the, the deputy leaders of pretty much every major party and or the leaders, mm. you know, apart from the Greens are Māori. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Parliament really has changed, you know, pretty drastically over the last sort of nine years or so. So, two weeks to go, put you on the spot, Ben Derrida Thomas, who will be the next leader and deputy leader of the New Zealand National Party? He is literally stroking his chin, listeners. That is literally what he is doing. He is I, giving his goatee a tickle. I, I think we're it's way too early to call. Oh, come um, on. It's, worth, it's 14 it's days. It's 14 days, Toby. Um, look, I, I think it'll clear out to... Bridget. Annabelle wouldn't hesitate. Bridget. Annabelle would just go straight in. She'd say, Bill will, Bill will still be there. <laughs> He'll hang on. I didn't on. want to bring that up. <laughs> no, I wasn't going to bring that up. I didn't, no. Didn't bring that none, up. none of us can see the future. Um, I, I think it'll it'll clear out to Bridges and Adams, I suspect. Um, I think Adams... I, I don't think that the deputies will be brought from, you know, from the pool of potential leaders. I don't think we'll see a kind of um, accommodation like we did between, um, you know, uh, Brash and Smith. You know, mm. kind of bringing the bringing the the, the kingdoms together. Mm. Um, you know, somebody like Todd Muller might come in. Um, you know, it, it depends if if, if as a deputy. A, or as, as, as a deputy, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, there, there isn't enough time, you know, because we're so early in the in the parliament. It means guys like Muller don't get to sort of, you know, put their hands up mm. because they're just not well known enough by the public. It'd be as ridiculous as trying to explain to the public that their new prime minister was Jonathan Coleman, um, you know, a year ago. But um, he's striking his chin again, listeners. Yeah. I... <laughs> <laughs> He's fading. Um, it, w- it, w- it, w- it won't be Paula Bennett. It will be a clear out. Um, yeah. I think you're right. I think it'll be Bridges and Adams in some configuration or the other. So that's clear. Um, that's all sorted. Uh, thank you for joining us for this emergency podcast. Thank you, Ellis, um, for producing. Um, next time we'll be back with Annabelle Lee and hopefully with Moimia Rose. Until next time. Kia ora e te iwi, Tiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.